Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Shortly, I'm going to be joined by Buck, and we are going to discuss the story that, I mean, it's just days away, isn't it? Surf brand Armageddon. That's maybe a little bit dramatic, but it is a huge day in surfing is coming. October 31st is when the most surf contracts in history ever end on a single day. We're going to be getting into all the details there. We're also going to talk about SURF episode two, definitely the shortest episode in more ways than one. Uh, We also have the world's best onshore waves. We have six of them. I don't know if we're going to tell you all of them, but we're at least going to tell you our favorites. We also have a chat with Rama McCabe. He is one of the founders of Banks Journal, and he's going to tell us about how his company went bankrupt. And we're also going to talk about a stab editor of the year that's now playing on the site, the most barreled man this year, and also a surf sin. So let's wrap in. Mikey, 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 how are you? Buckley, I am doing well, but I'm actually more curious how you're doing, because right now you're in the middle of your first ever test, test of surf products. You're doing best wetsuits this year. Tell me how it's going. My first wetsuit test has been fucking fascinating. Um, Imagine seeing Ian Gentile in the water in a random wave. Oh, yeah. Imagine that. Just strip that back for a minute. It's like, okay... You're like, that guy looks like Ian Gentile. <laughs> there's, no, uh, there's no logo to help you identify it. And you're in Portugal, and he's like, he, his parents are Brazilian, so he has sort of like that Brazilian-Portugal look to him. Like, he could just be a guy. Just looks like a guy, and you're like, and he, no logo on the nose, so you're like, that's just a guy. And I didn't see him get a wave, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just doing things in my head. Like, that's not fucking Ian Gentile at this, you know, in this random south part of the country. Um, and then I bump into Tori Meister. And like we kind of lock eyes, and we're, and it's you know when you meet somebody and you're like, or not meet somebody, but like cross paths with somebody in a weird place, and so you're almost skeptical that you know that you're like, no, no, my brain. Yeah, you have to just, do a double take. Yeah, we kind of double took each other. And went, Wait, we we know each other, <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I'm here with Ian. And I'm like, it was fucking Ian Gentile. So just it, a casual rookie of the year sighting. Yeah, just a casual and and being so unconvincing. Seeing the WSL 2023 Rookie of the Year and convincing yourself that it's not him (laughs) is just a funny experience. We're days away from the largest sponsorship cliff in the history of surfing. Oh boy, I saw the word Armageddon tossed around this week. As we all know, board riders which is funny that that's you have to it's hard with these things to even figure out where to rewind the clock back to but board riders which encompasses quicksilver billabong ruka got bought by a company authentic which had already owned volcom and are now captain finn is more than a finn company now they're it's it's they're going hard at apparel as well so it is this conglomerate it is the biggest surf company if you will that the world has ever seen and we are approaching a goddamn cliff because based on their fiscal year contracts typically end at the end of october which is as it turns out as we're recording this and it's going to go live shortly after four days away so mikey you took the reins on this one. You had 
almost like a spreadsheet of every brand and what's going to happen, the moves that people are making, what this kind of change of ownership means for people. You want to break it down? Do I ever. Okay, but before we start, a couple disclaimers. First and foremost, this is not even on the website yet. You guys are getting a sneak peek here on the podcast. We need to sort of you know, iron out a few details before we can officially get this live, but I didn't want to leave it off this podcast because it's so juicy. So um, yeah, take everything that we say with a grain of salt because we are fact-checking certain things, but we have the story pretty dialed. Uh, The other thing I want to note, I think I noted it last week as well, but a couple podcasts ago, we said that basically Liberated Brands, who is licensing Billabong, Billabong Women's, and Ruka from ABG, was also handling the marketing, which included surfer contracts. That is not the case. We've since learned that ABG is still responsible for all the surfer contract stuff. So everything we're about to talk about is ultimately within the realm of ABG's decision-making. Liberated people are in the room for a lot of these conversations. They know what's happening and are maybe putting in their two cents, but the actual cents, the dollar cents, are coming from ABG. That includes the Ethelow situation and everything that's to come. So... One of the most interesting brands here to me, even though it's not as, you know, it's not as much of a legacy brand as Quicksilver and Billabong, but Ruka, just the way that it worked out, they only have two surfers whose contracts extend beyond October 31st, 2023. And those two surfers are Baron Mamiya on the CT, obviously, and Oscar Langborn, not on the CT. (laughs) Uh, A balance of opposites. They've, <laughs> they nailed it. They've stuck true to it. <laughs> um, so everybody else on Ruka's team, their contract ends. Now, the question is then, who is Ruka going to re-sign? From what we've heard, uh, all these brands and all these people are aware of what happened when Blue Star bought Hurley and that basically they dropped pretty much their entire team and they were instantly sort of shunned by the surf industry because that was just not a cool thing to do, basically. So everybody wants to avoid that situation. Nobody wants to like kind of like destroy a brand's credibility by just completely depleting their entire surf team. So as That's we- the cool thing about having like an older sibling. Like they, <laughs> they make all the mistakes <laughs> and then uh, the parents are able to kind of try to correct. So shout out to them. That's very true. That's very true. Okay, so from what we've heard, about 50%, maybe even a little bit more than 50% of the surfers on Ruka whose contracts end on October 31st have been offered a renewal. It's likely that most of them will take this because it's not as if there are a bunch of brands out there looking to sign new surfers. And we've also heard that Ruka is going to be offering the same pay that they were on before October 31, so the same pay as last year. They are going to be one-year contracts for the most part, from what we hear. And this gives Ruka the ability to basically now, under new management, to really monitor who's making the best use of that sponsorship money. Uh, So that way, in a year from now, they can decide who is worth investing more in and who isn't and you know they can then make more cuts without it being such a big deal culturally and another good thing that ruka has going for it is that they've kept on mike brophy uh, with a lot of these brands when they got absorbed by abg and then abg licensed them over to liberated people in leadership positions in liberated just assumed responsibility over a lot of uh, what was going on in these uh, individual brands but with ruka they decided to keep on their team manager for ages mike brophy um he was actually the team manager when i 
briefly rode for Ruka back when I was in college. So he knows the business super well. He obviously has been working directly with Pat Tenori, the founder. And yeah, so he's a really good person for them to keep around, um, both for the sake of the surfers, for the sake of the brand, everything. And yeah, speaking about leadership, there are some other potentially interesting things going on there, but we're going to save those for next week when a little bit more info might come to light. Anyway, speaking of staffing, Billabong is probably the company that got hit the hardest in this regard. And what I mean by that is basically their entire executive team pre-sale to ABG is gone. Like all the people that we at Stab directly worked with, most of the people that the surfers themselves worked with, we've heard basically that surfers, if they need wetsuits, they don't even really know who to reach out to at this point. So it's a bit of confusion, a bit of chaos. And that also means that there's less protection for the surfers because there's nobody in there saying like, hey, you know, we've worked with this guy for years. Like he's done this, this, and this, and he's going to do that. Like that person doesn't exist. So right now it sounds like it's a bunch of people kind of like, you know, corporate people in suits looking at spreadsheets making these decisions. The good side of that is that the people who were the executives that are now gone, they put in place some sort of safety blockers. So what I mean by that is they signed a lot of Billabong's marquee surfers on multi-year deals before they left, before the sale happened. So I'm talking about Italo Ferreira, Ethan Ewing, Seth Moniz, and a few more. We obviously already saw what happened with Italo. He got cut due to a breach of contract, which, interestingly enough, we've heard that story might not be over just yet. There's potential for it to go to court, but we'll keep you posted if we hear anything factual on that. Uh, Seth Moniz, on the other hand, uh, he should be good, barring any major issues in, you know, you obviously, there are a thousand ways that you can breach a contract, so hopefully he's being careful with that. But we think Seth should be safe. We have heard that he may need to renegotiate his contract down a little bit, just on the dollar side. I'm not sure what that means exactly. Like, what if Seth just says, no, I want to get paid the full amount? I don't know what, you know, means Billabong or ABG has to tell him otherwise. Anyway, um, Ethan Ewing, also, he finished number two in the world this year. We heard he's going to be just fine. Like, I don't think they want to touch that. They are probably getting a good deal for him as it is. So there are some lower level surfers who are definitely on that October 31 date. We don't have all the names. Um, but for instance, Frederico Moraes, who just requalified for the CT, actually, so that's got to help him in negotiating. But he definitely is on that October 31 date. We're not sure if he's being resigned. Also, Aton Osborne, who, you know, maybe not as much on the competitive front, but free surfing, he's certainly one of the best in the world. We saw what he did last year in Billabong's marquee film. He did the biggest air of all time. So uh, we're not sure if he's going to get resigned. We sure hope he is. And then, you know, there are a lot of Australians as well. There's people like Creed McTaggart, Jai Glindeman, Dakota. Walters. Um, we're not exactly sure. And then on the CT side, you know, Arcal, Lob. We've heard some really interesting thing about those two in particular. So as far as we understand, they have contracts that both extend beyond 2023. However, the same negotiator potentially that's going to talk to Seth about downing his contract is going to try to get Arcal and Liam to walk. And what I mean by that is he's going to offer them a kill fee, a certain percentage of their guaranteed contracted salary to basically not be sponsored by Billabong anymore. So um, I'm not sure what those numbers are. I'm not sure what Arcal and Lima Bryan's teams are going to do about that. But that's the situation over at Billabong. So on one hand, 
they're in a really precarious situation where they don't have, you know, somebody like a Mike Brophy to that's been in the company for years and years to come and say like, hey, no, we need to keep these guys for X, Y, Z reasons. But on the other hand, the people who left actually did everything in their power to protect the surfers. So it's a bit of a conundrum, I'm sure, for ABG because it sounds like they do need to cut costs somewhere. But how do you do it when, you know, it's basically like a bit of chess, right? And they, they might find themselves in a bit of a stalemate. So that's the situation at Billabong. Oh, and one more thing while I'm thinking about it. You know, I said all the executives left and that the surfers don't have someone to look over them. We have also heard that Keanu Singh is going to be named the team manager of Billabong, which is great. Like, Keanu is such a solid person. And while he wasn't at, like, an executive level in Billabong before, he has been on as the team manager. So he knows the role. He knows the people. And I'm sure he's going to be a great advocate for the surfer. So congrats to Keanu. Now, Quicksilver. Uh, Ruka and Billabong are both licensed to Liberated, right? Liberated has the master license for those two brands. Not the case for Quicksilver. Quicksilver situation, nobody has the master license for Quicksilver as of yet. That's a developing thing. Um, There is a situation in the US in particular, or I should say in North America, where a company called O5 Apparel has Quicksilver's North American wholesale product license. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but all I know is that it's not the same situation as Liberated. And at Quicksilver, there are still a lot of people from their old executive team around. Uh, So that's good. But a lot of them are on interim contracts, like a six-month contract that started in September. So that could all change very quickly. This is the brand that is the most up in the air, in a sense, because it's like who's making the decisions exactly. Um, I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, it's people at ABG. But we've also heard that, you know, there's such things as like a global marketing budget, and then there are regional marketing budgets. So for instance, um, you know, we think about somebody like Kanoa Igarashi, his deal is set to expire on October 31. Is he going to be renewed? Possibly, possibly not. But you could say that if in a theoretical world, the global marketing team decided not to put their money toward Kanoa Igarashi, well, then the Asian Pacific region of Quicksilver could decide, hey, he is such a huge market in Japan for us, like we need him, and they could put their money toward it. So that's a theoretical situation um, that could also be a very real situation. Now, Griffin Colapinto is clearly Quicksilver's marquee surfer of this moment. He got third in the world this year, And um, yeah, they made it really clear when they signed him that he was going to be their number one. And as a result, they signed him for a five or a six year deal. He either goes till 27 or 28. Um, I'm not sure which, but basically he's safe. You don't have to worry about Griffin. He's going to be on Quicksilver for years to come. Then there's Steph Gilmore. She's technically sponsored by Roxy. Roxy and Quicksilver are different companies on paper, but we're going to clump them into the same thing here. You don't want to lose Steph. Uh, Her contract is up on October 31, but they're going to do everything in their power to keep her for obvious reasons. We've heard that she has been given a contract offer, and she hasn't accepted yet, but they're working on the terms, and it sounds like they will come to an agreement, so it's most likely that you will see Steph staying on with Roxy. Mikey Wright's situation is a little bit different. He is, I would say, one of the top three free surfers in the world. I mean, if you saw what he did in Repeater, like, just absolutely unbelievable. Somehow as a standout in every single location, like, just looked like on a different level from already a bunch of other re- really incredible surfers, uh, Kale Walsh, Al Cleland Jr., Rolo, et cetera. But Mikey is the star. And um, his situation is really interesting because his contract does not end on October 31. 
it ends on December 31. So he's on a slightly different schedule than everyone else. And that puts him in a really interesting situation because if Quicksilver wants to keep him on, they need to retain a certain marketing budget. Um, so that means that they can't overspend on that October 31 date because they want to keep enough to keep Mikey on. And it puts Mikey in a powerful position because he has this extra time to potentially hear offers from other brands. And we've heard that a few are circling too, that, you know, we've heard mentioned are Roark and O'Neill. Those are rumors, not confirmed, but that's what we're hearing on the street. So is Mikey going to stay with Quick? That's totally up to him. We've heard he's been made an offer. But it sounds like he's going to wait it out and see how it all plays out, which is a smart move on his end. Uh, then you start to think more about regional surfers like Akoa Rothman, um, uh, Rio Wida, Al Cleland Jr. Um, so a few of these people are good until 2024 at least. Some of them, like Rio, um, is up on October 31, but I think he's going to get an offer as well, probably lower than he's getting paid right now. In fact, a lot of people at Quicksilver were hearing they're basically going to get offered, if they're going to get a new deal on this October 31 date, it's going to be for the same amount as they're on now. However, over a two-year period. So that's like a really positive way of framing a 50% pay cut. Um, whereas the surfers on Ruka, they're just getting their full rate. Um, granted, it's a little bit apples and oranges. Obviously, Ruka's under liberated. Quicksilver is their own deal. So anyway, um, it sounds like Quick overall is going to keep a good portion of their surfers, maybe about two-thirds of them overall, which is really, really good. And honestly, like the term... Armageddon was thrown around, I think, at one point, and I don't think it's going to be quite like that, but it is a big day in surfing coming. So, yeah, wow, I feel like I just talked for fucking ever, but that is a lot of what we know, and all the rest is going to be on the site soon, so keep your eyes peeled, and um, yeah, Instagram could be an absolute shitstorm on October 31 or November 1, so uh, we'll be there. As U-R-F episode two, undersized, baby. We are at you. You are listening. You are on YouTube. You are free. Anybody can watch Ozzy, Ari, Jelly, and Vinny ride surfboards that are undersized. And if you go, what's undersized? What's that mean? Well, I don't know. You're just talking shit. Every board can be under 4L. They have to ride boards that are under four feet tall. They also have to play a role in designing and painting these boards um which they did great at um they're all pretty pretty rectangular as you might imagine you're going to try to get as much foam as you can when you're going under four foot anyway if you watch this and you don't enjoy it if you don't have fun then your brain is broken you need to go to the tibet or maybe the nepal somewhere in the himalaya and fix your brain because this thing I, I there's a message going around on our slack channel right when it went live being like oh what's going on like this is going so good on youtube it's because there's just you see these people these kind of cool painted boards that are just so tiny they're up to their waist essentially and then they have to go try to surf them and watching them figure it out, like the first, when they're first trying, and I know it's edited, so maybe they it wasn't exactly like this, but just watching people try to solve that problem of, well, one, they had to you know, get the board made first, but 
in those waves is just fucking hilarious. It's just like you, it's one of those things where you're, you're going to watch. You're going to watch it. I'm actually pretty bummed. I would have destroyed this challenge. That's basically the size boards I ride. It just would have been like a high performance shortboard for me. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's just a liter less than mine. That's fine. <laughs> is this a joy ride or what are you guys doing? <laughs> no, but uh, to your point, they serve so well. So Jake Vincent was like somehow finding perfect little tubes um, out there. Ari Brown, his ability, like, okay, so remember that uh, edit that came out years ago? Might have been like, was it Jack Coleman? Like, who did the thing with the invisible boards that they painted them green and then green screened them out? You remember that one? Sounds pretty Coleman ish. Who made the most money in, in the S episode? Whoever whoever made that film, I'm sorry if you're not Jack Coleman. Um, I appreciate your work. But it looked to me like Ari was riding one of those boards, except they just cut off like the front foot and the back foot of the board. So because it, it, he was like the way that he was going through the water, especially just like pumping down the line, it looked like he was on a normal surfboard, like the way that it was planing. It was so impressive. And then obviously he tried to do certain turns and you saw the board's limitations. Um, but the way that he was just like moving over water through certain parts was really, really cool. And then Ozzy, backside wizard man, like how is he doing that? I don't know. There's that one turn they does and they all call it out in the end. They're like, you did that fucking turn where you like, Blew your fins out of the back. And I was like, I, yeah, I don't, that's I don't true. Know. I that's true. Like, All right. Go watch SURF episode two. Episode three is going to be going live on Monday if you're in Australia, Sunday if you're in the US. And that will be what's the R? penultimate. R is Rigatoni. Yes, they have to ride um, a piece of pasta. So it can be a big piece of pasta, but they've got to ride a piece of pasta. And now a PSA from Buck, courtesy of our friends at Fringe. Fringe has created the world's first protein bar made specifically for surfers. Fringe bars are designed to provide the ultimate nutrition to fuel your session and help you recover for that next one. They're fully plant-based. They are gluten-free. They have 15 grams of protein, zero grams of added sugar. They're made with real all-natural ingredients and come in three delicious flavors. And they got them adaptogenic mushrooms to keep your mind and body balanced. So what you're going to want to do is you head to fringefoodco.com now and use the code STABTAKE, 15% off your first order of Fringe Bars. They are available in 12 packs of chocolate almond butter, coconut cashew, mango hemp, or your tasteful person. You get the variety pack, you get all three flavors in one. Again, that's code STAB to take 15% off your first order. I mean, let's just, let's level here, folks. What are you going to do? You're going to wake up to go surf in the morning. You're going to just throw a banana in your pocket, and it's in the pocket of your hoodie. It kind of looks like it's, it's your dick, and it's not. It's You don't want to do that. Well, you're going to get the, the power bar like it's 2002. You're going to go to the muscle gym like Cliff Bar like you're fucking Alex Harnold trying to climb a, the, 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 the thing. Don't be a hero. Don't try to freeze solo a fucking rock and just make a Netflix documentary. Don't do that. Get the fringe bar. It's fringefoodco.com. Code stab. 15% off. That's a great deal. Inflation, etc. Get there. The world's best onshore waves. I'm going to push back on that immediately because one, this piece did a great job of breaking down waves that are actually like quite like 
I think the most compelling one for me was Cloudbreak. I've never been there, but just it makes sense when you think about that wave and look at anything you've seen from it. Again, as somebody who's not surfed there, but just being like, yeah, you look at the satellite map and be like, yeah, that reef wraps a lot and the wave wraps a lot. So like the wave can literally change, the wind direction will change as it wraps through that reef. It's like, oh fuck, that's fascinating. Um, but where I'm gonna push back is that every wave is better a little bit onshore, but mostly cloudy. Because Whoa. a little bit onshore and cloudy, you're talking half the crowd in a lot of places. If it's like approachable waves, I think in a lot of crowded surf destinations, you get some clouds on it, you get a little bit of the cheese, and there's 50% less people there immediately. Unless it's a Saturday in August in at La Grand Plage in Biarritz, and then you're fucked anyway. 50% less people and what, 20, 20% worse? So that's like a 30% gain, basically. Hardly. It depends. Like, I really think offshore wind only really mattered, unless it's really strong, unless it's that like hideous, like when you get like 20 mile per hour range, I guess. It doesn't really matter unless it's fucking up barrels, I don't think. Right? Like, unless the wind is like making barrels, make it so that, like, especially, like, I think the worst combination when it is barreling, but is also onshore. So it's like that wave you could enter, but it just is so mean and also just chandelier and sketchy, just looks like you shouldn't enter, you shouldn't be there. Um, that's the worst combo, I think. I think that's the only waves where, like, onshore wind really matters. But, like, if it's like, two, three foot, and you're doing turns anyway. Who the fuck cares if the wind's offshore? Well, there are a couple waves in here that are certainly barrels on or offshore. The most, you said that cloud break was the one that stood out the most to you. I guess that makes sense because you're a goofy footer. And it's, no, I guess there's there's an, there's two other lefts on the list, actually, now that I look at it. Um, but the one to me that is clearly, clearly the best onshore wave in the world is Soup Bowl in Barbados. I don't think anything really comes close to that as far as like producing that high caliber of a wave in true offshores because the cloud break one is a little bit of a loophole. It's like it's onshore out the back and then kind of offshore on the inside as it wraps into the bay and gets protected by the reef. But like Soup Bowl is just straight up like onshore. And still on those days when there's like the right swell and it hugs the reef like that, it is throwing weight barrels that are 10 feet tall and 10 feet wide, like no question. And, and totally surfable too. Like not, not like an, a sort of thing where it's like it's victory at sea. Like the wave, seriously, the way that the water moves across that reef, it just cleans it up into a perfect wave, even when it's heavily onshore. And also just for, I seriously, when I was putting this piece together on the site, um, editing it and whatnot, I threw that Kelly Slater campaign two section in there. And I still get chills every yeah, time I, I watch that. It's unbelievable. Oh, that, when they like, this song kind of does the thing and then uh-huh. he's doing the float and the way where he should, Kelly Slater's a pussy for not coming down on that one floater though. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's the one stain on his career. (laughs) All right. So this piece was written by, um, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Stab's number one British surf journalist, Ben Mondi. Um, Oh, by far. And it's honestly, it's honestly not bad for somebody with red hair. Like, I think he did a pretty good job on this list. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like about Ben is he like knows so much about birds and stuff that it's like really cool. So it's so great to have like an English guy writing for us that like, 
especially one that like finally really knows about birds instead of just pretends. So it's really cool. Number one commentator as well. Yeah, yeah, he's all by far. Nobody even comes close. So shout out to Ben. Great piece. Go check out the rest of the list on the site. You will not be disappointed. Rama McCabe and the tale of the recently bankrupted Banks Journal. Okay, I have a lot here, Mikey. Sorry. Um, the first thing I want to call out is Rama McCabe had uh, has had and is going to continue to have because just because Banks went bankrupt, which we'll get into, he will still, he's so talented, he'll find work. Like His career is not over because Banks went bankrupt that's not that that's not how that's gonna work but uh the fact that somebody can create a brand like banks and the other sibling his brother pratamo can be the fucking head judge of the ct i've never met I've never heard of a more talented gene pool in my life. Those are two very different paths. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like when you're, I feel like when you're a kid, you get exposed to something. It just so happens that in their case, they were exposed to a hippie commune in which they grew up for the first few years of their life. So they were living like off the grid, basically, in this little hippie community on the beach somewhere in Australia. It was a two-day walk from the closest road. It's the only way in, as far as we know. So that was their upbringing. Um, They're half-brothers, so there is that aspect of it. But I, I do feel like when you get exposed to something in your childhood, or even like, I feel like you either are your parents or you are the polar opposite of your parents there's like no in between you know what i mean so i feel like these two they had the same experience growing up and yet they just went such opposite directions because of it you could say that rama maybe stayed more in the same vein of living in a hippie commune you know you've created no, people didn't. They, they went from a, a a place with no clothes so he made a clothing company he went the exact opposite <laughs> Well, but you got to think like I'm thinking of it like right brain versus left brain, like people in a hippie commune are, you know, they're they're creative. They're of, you know, the artistic side of the world, whereas being a head judge of the WSL, you have to be the most like just robotic. Not to say that uh, Pratamo is I've not spent much time with Pratamo, but just like left brain and like thinking about things analytically to be a WSL head judge. Incredible. I love how we both fixate on this. You clearly have been thinking, <laughs> stewing on this as well. Yeah, it's There's insane. a whole lot to unpack here. But the fact that <laughs> we both latch on to this, this says a lot. But I still think there's something hilarious about him growing up in a hippie commune where people weren't wearing clothes a lot to like making a clothing company. That's that's there's something that's true. Um he so I think that probably made him so good at designing. That's my that's my angle actually. Figure it out on the fly. That's why he got so good at it because he had to like he had to understand the concept of clothing from scratch instead of like the rest of us being like clothes are just natural and like how do you you know you're almost limited at that point where you're like I get what this is. You understand more if you pick it up later. I think it's like an Amish guy who created an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Steve Jobs was Amish until he was 24. People don't talk about that. They didn't write in his <laughs> memoir. Anyway, Banks Journal won Best Board Shorts. It, Banks Journal was founded in 2014. They won Stab's Best Board Shorts test. Was it 2019? 20... 2021. I was there. 2021. I knew it was an odd number. You did it. You said they were the best. And uh, they, they made really nice stuff. They did not make just nice board shorts. They made very approachable clothes that did not have massive logos on them i think they had 
Rama's very fucking good. I mean, before he was there, he was at Rip Curl for a while. He was at Globe. Um, O'Neill. He was pivotal in making, I think, Globe's apparel. Like, I always really thought that they had really nice days. So it's not just slapping a fucking giant logo on a, a tee and being like, let's put it in 14 colors and send mm. it on away. Like, they were able to identify trends. and He just... also won Best Board Shorts with the Critical Slide Society three times. He's a four-time Best Board Shorts winner. He's literally the best board short designer in the world he's in it yeah that's why that's why it's like oh well like he his he's gonna get hired by somebody immediately if he wants to if he wants to who knows what he wants to do but we talked to him holden might know but the reason why because we're addressing why it went bankrupt and again this is a company that like on the outside you'd be like they're doing good shit you see people wearing it it seems everything seems to be going well and so it's pretty wild, but Rama pretty much talks about like he, you get the whole backstory of how the business got founded and different partners and investment and this and that. But to me, the most fascinating thing is that because I, I was at a surf company at this time as well. We were mentioning it earlier. We've mentioned it all the time on this, but I was at Quicksilver when COVID happened. And so it was like all of a sudden like when every single place in the world is closed and nobody knows what the future of the world is you're not buying a wetsuit when you're like am i allowed to go outside (laughs) (laughs) nobody's buying a new t-shirt when you're saying that and also every single store every way that you have to sell is just shut down for a month essentially because even if somebody can buy something online which they could it's like will this arrive i don't even know what the nobody knew how to make sense about out of the world for a while um and so they went through that and then just like many other places i mean e-com went nuts this isn't just banks but he talked about how e-com so basically online sales went crazy after that whole like oh shit not only are any stores that we have closed but also any place that sell their shit is closed and then as you know, especially in the US when stimulus checks came in and all that, all of a sudden things were just ripping and they were especially ripping on e because people were like, I'm not gonna go to the store, I'm just gonna buy it online. And so I think a lot of surf companies saw crazy like e went up like two, three hundred, even more percent. Just this insane thing. People had money, they were spending it, all of a sudden they get outside again, it's like, Yeah, I am gonna buy the website, I'm gonna buy the board shorts, I'm gonna do this. And so they saw that and were like, oh shit, like, I guess we'll just go a bunch on e-com. Essentially overbought, just designed new range, looked great, was great. But that pandemic craze didn't really last. Like eventually there was kind of a return to the mean and uh, that got them. That's pretty much the reason why they went bankrupt. That's kind of wild because put yourself in those shoes and what would you do? everything's ripping let's order a bunch so we keep selling like who wouldn't have done that oh my god the number of like investment mistakes that were made around the pandemic like even on a personal level like you see first of all you see everything drop people panic sell right and then you see everything start ripping back up i'm talking about the stock market right now you see everything ripping back up and everyone's like oh now i got to get in and then they get in too late and everything either plateaus or drops again i mean you even look at what happened to crypto right it just went absolutely insane and then it just fell off a cliff so the same thing happened i think pretty much in the world of you know commerce and in this case apparel 
um, people were buying like crazy and people were buying in a specific way, which is online. And then the world opens up again and people start to not spend as much on that. You know, it's, it's this confluence of things. But yeah, basically they, they overstocked um, on the direct-to-consumer side. And when you're a company that isn't a huge monolith like a Billabong or a Quicksilver who also has, you know, who's owned by another company, you don't have this support system. So when you make a mistake like that, it can be fatal. And in Banks' case, they got to a point where, you know, maybe they could have raised money to get out of the problem, but they ultimately had a meeting and there are four founders. So it wasn't just Rama's decision. Um, and they ultimately voted to shut down the U.S. side of of banks, U.S. and Australia. Um, the interesting thing is that two of the founders were from Japan, and that's why you know where they got a lot of their influence from. And the bank's brand is going to continue in Japan because that guy still holds the license for the Japan brand. So there is going to be like banks' clothing and board shorts, presumably, that are still made. And I feel like those are going to have such a like cultural cachet in surfing like if you if you're getting like the banks japan that's going to be like the new kind of like hot stuff for people who are like kind of really trendy and into to fashion and stuff like that you're going to see them wearing bank stuff all from japan stab edit of the year the most barreled man of 2020 surely oh my god he is a psychopath mikey do you know what my favorite clip is in here you want to oh, guess? okay. Let me think. Is it the air? It is. That air is the <laughs> fucking funniest thing I have ever seen. This is all. This is all. Alonso Correa. Correa, yeah. Correa. Uh, Alonso Correa from Peru. Getting absurdly barreled, and he does one. <laughs> there's one clip in here where he doesn't get barreled. And, like, it would be shitty if it was just, like, a bad air. But he does this <laughs> massive air at Rocky Point. And there's just no other indication of how this guy surfs outside the barrel. And it's just, like, the wind kind of gets under him. It takes him, like, a foot higher. He's like a fucking kite up there. It's a crazy good yeah. air. And when you think I, he's going to fall. First... It's in like slow-mo and it looks no. like he's going to fall. And he just lands it. <laughs> <laughs> when it first came up on my screen, I'm like, surely he's falling. Like, there's no chance. And I'm like, what the fuck? That was a really good air. <laughs> so I actually went back and counted last night. There are 72 waves surfed in this edit. It's 15 <laughs> minutes long. And he gets barreled on. I, I thought it was only... Or, I thought it was only one wave that he didn't get barreled on. It turns out it was two. He caught this one wave at like Himalayas or something that's like a big wave that he gets oh, he's in boring. the pocket. But yeah, but anyway, 72 <laughs> waves gets barreled on 70 of them. And one of them is just a giant air out of nowhere, <laughs> which really touched Buck's so heart. It's so big. It's just obnoxiously <laughs> big. It's like it, it, like if, a, if somebody else did that air that you like knew of, if like Ian Crane did there, I'd be like, holy shit, that was a crazy air. And we were like, what happened? <laughs> so the other this thing guy... that I imagine you would have appreciated, Buck, is in those 72 waves, 70 of which are barrels, there are also no rights, not a single one in it's the entire so good. Edit. This edit was so, this was, this was so good. This was, I also want to say it just feels like, I think that, it feels like I mean he's from Peru, right? Like, and he, he, a lot of the music he's using, it's the lyrics are in Spanish and shit like that. It's it's 
it feels different. It feels so much like, I feel like surfing pulls a lot of references from either itself or from the same source at the same time. And this feels so different. And he's just getting crazy waves for the most part. He's getting barrels and like his way of selecting music and shit like that. I think we talked about with, shout out Tori Meister, we talked about him earlier, but like his stab at the year last year where it was just like doing his bull thing and cowboy music. I was like, that's sick that somebody's going that different with it. And like this had a different, different feel to me. And I fucking like that. I, I think we shouldn't be afraid to like stray from what everybody else is doing. And he didn't stray... He strayed from rights. He did not. He did not do that. <laughs> and the air is still the funniest thing I've ever seen. It is the. It is such a good air. It's like a, a insanely good air, and it's just so funny. There's just one. That's the most power move I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Fuck, I love that. Thing. I, it caught me so off guard. Like you, I thought he was gonna fall, and we should be talking about how he's just getting barreled on, like lefts ranging from like ten second long tubes to things that are you know waves that like five people in the world would scoop into because that's happening um but the air i can't I, I can't i can't not just focus on that man i'm sorry so this edit takes place in hawaii chile indonesia and to me the waves that look i don't know if necessarily the best but the most like enticing are in his home country of peru and he stopped he talked to steve elaine for this and he said my main goal was to get as good of waves as possible at home in my own country and that must i mean every scoring at home there's kind of nothing like that um and the amount of work that he put into that and the waves that he got out of that like seriously waves that you I don't even know how to explain. They're like that next caliber of wave. It's actually kind of similar to a wave that we ran on our Instagram this week of these two lefts that roll through that are just, they're of such a different quality level that your brain almost can't compute it. Like the thing that people always say, mm. it's like, oh, it's like the wave that I drew on my notebook in school. But it's like, yeah, the wave in your notebook didn't barrel for 14 seconds. You know what I mean? Like this the waves that are truly so perfect, the combination of it's usually sand um, and a swell and they just combine and the wind is perfect and everything. And he's literally just pumping in a wave that it's funny. You could almost have put a really untalented surfer and they still would have gotten an amazing barrel because it's that there's that much space. It's that perfect of a wave. And on that point, Alonzo is obviously incredible at getting barreled. But it's not like that clay clip that we put out last week where clay is just sort of on a different level of we talked about it, like understanding how the ocean works. And he's doing like basically turns in the barrel and laybacks in the barrel and all these crazy things like Alonzo's really good at riding the barrel. But this film to me or edit is more just like an appreciation of just really well designed water like the waves in this edit are the real hero, I think. Nah, fuck you. The waves aren't the hero. The air rev is. Mikey, what else What else we got this week? Anything else you want to hype? Yeah, well, we just started rolling out the Vans Pipemaster profiles. Right now on the site, we have Balaram, the winner last year, and Coco Ho. Um, those are going to be coming for the next several weeks as Both we... good. Yeah, as we release basically the roster, we're going to be slowly but surely announcing the people who got invited to this year Vans Pipemasters. Uh, the dates of that are December 8th to 20th, and naturally it's going to be an incredible show. Um, obviously, we hope the waves are going to be really good, but 
even if they're not, because you never know, you can't control Mother Nature, as we saw in this year's CT season, we're going to try to make uh, the event as fun as possible. And we're actually going to play a role in how the webcast plays out. I'm not going to give away too much just yet, but there will Ooh. be a little hint of stab in this year's broadcast. So that's going on. Um, we also have a stab interview with Ari Crookie Brown, SURF star, on the site. He's a really interesting character. And it's funny, usually we save these stab interviews for people who have had something major happen to them recently. And, you know, besides winning the uh, the spend portion of SURF, I don't think anything that major has happened to Ari in the last year or so, but he's just such an interesting person and fucking hilarious that he made this interview about nothing such an enjoyable read. And I'll just leave you mm. with that. It's a great, it's a great weekend read. Um, and then just another funny thing going on in the surf world, Paul Fisher shut down Hollywood Boulevard for the first time ever for a performance. I don't know if you saw that, but like just tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people showed up like to see him go from creating those funny little, you know, uh, what what were they called? Follow the fish TV videos to now being like a world globally renowned, uh, music star and just kind of like all around celebrity is so funny and, and perfect. Well, he, when he was like, I'm sure this is a time where he already played Coachella, so like he's already well known, not like just like playing Coachella at like 4 p.m., but like, yeah, kind of headlining. He gets um, the big name on the list. You could still go to his Vimeo, like Fall the Fish Vimeo, and <laughs> see like you just fully see his dick. Like he, there's a, a clip of him running down. <laughs> The, I mean, you know how square it's a small, like the downtown, it, if you want to call it downtown, like the, it's one fucking little street, yeah. right? And that Cafe de Paris, like he just ran down that street nude. Um, and there was just a clip of him doing that. And he was famous, but nobody could equate. Like, I think people in the surf world were like, oh, follow that fish. And everybody else was like, Fisher. And it's a guy, bah, 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 and they didn't know it was different. They pulled it. I looked recently. Um, oh, but there was no. a while. And the dick was not blurred at all. It was just like, the guy just has dick out right down the street. Um, and uh, I think there was one thing with like a French. He was just doing such hilarious shit on there. So, yeah, it is... Uh, it's awesome to see him shutting down Hollywood Boulevard, also making fun of Australian news uh, anchors I saw this week. So, yeah. What else about coming, Mikey? We got more board riders, ABG, oh, this, that. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be following that really closely. We also, I talked last week about Tahiti and that situation. Um, that's still developing, so we haven't put anything out on it yet, but I'm hoping to next week. Um, and you wrote, again, we talked about this last week, but a really interesting piece on patents. And I think we're going to be ready to launch that coming soon as well. And one more thing that happened this week that it didn't get too much press. Um, they put it on Instagram. We put it on the site. But Griffin Colapinto underwent a hip surgery. So he's been dealing with an issue that originated at the Margaret River Pro and yet he still went on to get second in that event. He went on to, you know, win the pool, and he got second again in El Salvador. So he, he did some really good surfing after the fact, but it had been plaguing him for the back half of the year. So he went in, got it looked out, turned out he tore his labrum, got surgery, and recovery time is, quote-unquote, a few months. So whether or not he'll be back and ready for pipe in late January, we're not entirely sure. We're hopeful. I'm sure he is, too. But best of luck to Griff healing up. And also Kelly, remember, got a hip surgery uh, pretty much on the day of the WSL finals. So I would imagine the recovery time, maybe they get back around the same time when you consider 
um, the age disparity there. Griffin probably will heal a bit faster than Kelly, but I'd imagine both will be at pipe, hopefully fighting fit. Yeah, well, I think like maybe we'll set off a trend because I think a lot of surfers could benefit from like having like a hip intervention, like just like realizing they're pretty talented, but just maybe they should ride a twin and get like cool tattoos and shit. So like, <laughs> I don't think uh, I think a lot of people could deal with like some hip interventions. So uh, it's good to see. Positive. Let's get to the sin, Mikey. Hey, Stab. I hope by posting this, we can draw a confession from the sinner. As it's been 15 years, and the guilty walk among us scot-free. It's ruined friendships, and we're yet to have an answer. We were 17, just finished school. We all went to Bali on a surf trip with about 10 mates. We all had new boards, we were pumped, ready for the trip. We went out on the first night, we got home and all our boards had been shot up with BB guns. It was a massacre. We're all guilty until proven innocent and we just want a confession. If you can tell us what our penance should be, hopefully that can draw the confession that we need to get on with our lives. Cheers. Ah, It's one of those ones where it's a confession. I liked how you put it out there, like, we'll find this guy. I don't, but buddy, I gotta be honest, we, we're not finding this guy because I got bad news for you. Whoever shot these boards with the BB gun, like you, I think I probably bought a BB gun and bought it. may have been me. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> what year did he say? It was 2008. It was an Indo, though. Well, you could buy, basically, I remember going to, I definitely bought a BB gun in, in, in Bali at one point. And yeah, you go to the stores, BB gun, you're like 18 and you're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, but what does but, it take for somebody to actively shoot up a fleet of brand new surfboards? Like there has to be either malice or you're truly at that age in life where you just don't give a fuck whatsoever about other human beings. And you're probably getting like egged on by a friend or something, right? No, no, no. I, I'll tell you how it happens. I may have done this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did, but that was my kind of my whole point. But now I'm realizing but the whole point is I think that like it's not a single individual like going. It's not we're not doing fucking you know Columbine here. It's it's you're with your friends and you're drinking. You shoot the BB gun and you shoot it. It starts innocently and you shoot it at the wall and then oh you shoot your friend. He's like ah and then it's like look at all them new boards. And it's just you and your friends, and you're laughing your fucking dicks off, just lighting up this board. Um, it sounds like the funnest thing ever. I don't think I did it, but I also think that the person who did it probably also doesn't know they did it. They could be listening right now and and be like me, and they're like they're blacked out, drunk, eighteen years old, having the funnest time of their life with their friends with this BB gun that they lost within like six months and I don't even know how they lost it. How do you lose a BB gun? Where did you put it? I don't know. I bought probably three. I don't know where any of them are. I don't know how, how the fuck do you do that? I don't know. How? how? Like, I didn't throw it out, but am I, am I, does it sound like I shot this guy's board? I didn't plan on it going this way. Maybe. Do we need to give you a penance? Yeah, no, this guy, I, I don't know. I might have deep down I shot this guy's boards. I don't know. I didn't think it was going to go this way, Mikey. All right. I'm well, mad at this guy now. Okay, so I've got a penance for this. Um, and if you are this person, maybe I'm talking to this person right now, but if you are this person, if this sounds familiar and you're feeling a little bit guilty, 
I have a way to heal you. So you put a bunch of, I don't exactly know what BBs are made out of, maybe like aluminum or something. But the equivalent is, the point is you put a bunch of metal into someone's board. And I think that this guy is seeing the problem as the little holes that would then allow in water and make the surfboard very not fun to surf. Um, But there's another aspect of this. People have before put metal into their surfboards, and in fact, they still do, uh, to usually on tow boards to add weight to the surfboard. So Mm. um, my penance is that the next board that you get you have to you have to order it custom. Hopefully, it, you'd probably want it to be with like a local shaper, somebody that you actually know, not somebody in like a big factory that's all automated and whatnot. Like this needs to be somebody who really works with the surfboard. And um, yeah, I just need them to to put twenty BBs into your foam, and you have to surf with a little bit of extra weight in your board, and maybe a little bit of you, you keep them somewhere visible as well, just so that it's a, a reminder of your your past sins. That's good. I like it. I thought you were going to tell him to like whip a big wave, which I was like, yeah, that's funny. The guy's whip, but you went good. You went good. Um, fuck the sinner. It might be me. Are you telling me I have to do this? Um, I think maybe I'm just going to tell him to go on a healing journey. You get two new boards and bring them boards inside. No, sleep with one of your boards. Sleep in the bed with one of your boards. Mm. That's it for me. Because he, he was the real sinner for leaving your board out to get shot up. Because these kids, they would have shot anything else. I would have just shot anything else but this board. But you leave it out, it's a fucking target. And so you got to sleep one night in a bed with a brand new board. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. If you have a surf sin of your own, send them into michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. Film them vertically on your phone. Keep them 60 seconds or less. And if you get featured on this podcast, you will win a free year of Stab Premium. Uh, man, like I said, there's a lot going on in the whole Board Riders ABG world. We're going to be following that closely next week. There's also the Tahiti thing, which I really want to get to the bottom of, and so much more to come. So, uh, yeah, until next week. Over now.